I think I'm somebody where, like, I grew up in a family of many people, like a large family, and then also I grew up Mormon, and so I grew up around many families that were very large. And then also my mom did daycare at our home. And so I've always just been around a lot of people and I've always had to be somebody that has found my voice amongst many people while also like being friends with everybody. And and it's funny, like when I was growing up, I've always had friends all over the place. I never realized like until like recently that that continues to be true. I feel like I'm a connector where I love just meeting new people and finding out about new people and then connecting different people with like-minded people. So I definitely think that's probably the core of my being. What's up, everyone? I'm Mario Fraioli. This is the Morning Shakeout Podcast, and my guest this week is Darcy Budworth. Darcy is the co-founder and race director for Take the Bridge, which is an underground and unsanctioned series of races that was born in New York City in 2015 and has since spread to numerous other cities around the world. I actually raced my first Take the Bridge this past February in San Francisco, and I loved everything about it. As I wrote my newsletter a few weeks ago, the race was low-key and community-focused. The distance was unconventional. We happened to run 4.2 miles over the Golden Gate. And even the turns that we took were completely up to us as long as we hit the required checkpoint along the way. There were no mile markers, no clocks, and at the end of the night, you were battling it out for place, not trying to run a predetermined pace. There was a level of purity to it that I really appreciated, and quite honestly, didn't even know that I missed. It reminded me a lot of cross country, which is my favorite running discipline, but with a fast and the furious, every runner for him or herself, urban street vibe to it. Anyway, I really enjoyed this conversation with Darcy. We talked a lot about Take the Bridge and all aspects of unsanctioned racing in general, but we also got into her background, how she got into running, her relationship to it, and also had some discussion about stress, anxiety, injuries, and a lot more. A big thank you to my friends at the Atlanta Track Club for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. They want you to lock in your July 4th weekend plans as both member and lottery registration for the AJC Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia is going on right now. The race will be held in person and virtually this year over two days, July 3rd and July 4th. Strict COVID-19 safety precautions will be in place for the in-person version. Limited spots are available, and Atlanta Track Club members get guaranteed entry and race day preference. If you are not a member of the Atlanta Track Club, you can join today and then sign up to get a guaranteed spot at Peachtree. Non-members will be placed into a lottery, and race day preference will be accommodated as spots remain. This is one of America's iconic road races, and we're all excited for a safe return to action here in 2021. Registration is going on right now until May 1st, and you can put your name in today at AJC.com slash Peachtree. That's AJC.com slash Peachtree. Okay, let's get right into it with Darcy Budworth. (laughs) 
All right, Darcy Budworth, I've been looking forward to this conversation since I ran your Take the Bridge event in San Francisco earlier this month, which I loved, by the way. And I am so excited to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much. Mario, I feel the same way. Um, a while ago, maybe a year ago, you talked about our podcast in some bit, like in the middle of talking about many things. And, and I, like, I was almost like starstruck that you had even known what our race was. <laughs> so thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, I mean, talk about many things as I'm apt to do. Um, try to keep my <laughs> finger on the pulse of as much of the running world as I can. But I have a number of women who I coach that live or lived in New York City in the past couple of years, and many of them have run your events. So I was familiar with them from that standpoint. So I was like, what, like, what is this thing? Um, and then I just, I go down rabbit holes. I mean, it's kind of what I do for part of my, my living. And I was like, this is really cool. And then I think I was in Boston one year and there was a Take the Bridge event and I couldn't make it for some reason and I was super bummed, but I was glad to finally have the opportunity just a few weeks ago here in San Francisco. Got it. That was, it was a really special race, I think, San Francisco. That was a good one. Well, I want to talk more about it and take the bridge in general because I have so many questions, but I want to learn more about you, Darcy, first. Oh, and, and I'll just tee you up by asking, how would you describe yourself? Mm, um, gosh, that's a, a, how does anybody describe themselves? I don't know. <laughs> so I think I'm somebody where, like I grew up in a family of many people, like a large family. And then also mm -hmm. I grew up Mormon. And so I grew up around many families that were very large. And then also my mom did daycare in our, at our home. And so I've always just been around a lot of people and I've always had to be somebody that has found my voice amongst many people. Mm -hmm. Um, while also like being friends with everybody. And, and it's funny, like when I was growing up, I've always, had friends all over the place. And it's, I never realized like until like recently that that continues to be true. Right. Um, I feel like I'm a connector where I love just meeting new people and finding out about new people and then connecting different people with like-minded people. Um, so I definitely think that's probably the core of my being. Um, I'm a designer during the day. And so I'm a creative person. I've always been super creative. Um, and I've, at, when I moved to New York, I never ran. My my mom was very active growing up, but like I did not run until I moved to New York. And I found it like this way of at the end of the day, flushing out all of my creative energy and like as a way of like getting new ideas at the same time. I don't know if any of that helps. And that's not like a fully <laughs> encompassed, like this is who I am, but like that's a basic idea of who I am, right? That's all right. I'll <laughs> dig a little bit deeper. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. There are a lot of bridges in Portland, Oregon. You know what? Like, and here's the, like, I will tell you something, Mario, and I don't tell very many people this, but so there's a lot of bridges in Oregon. I don't think that there's like a connection between all that because I never found my love of bridges until I moved to New York where there are these ah. huge spans of bridges. And I can tell you that story too, but, um, I was scared of bridges, um, at one point when I was learning how to drive. And I remember seeing like a video of a bridge collapse. And so like for the longest time, anytime I drove over a bridge, I was terrified. Oh, <laughs> so, so it's not until I moved to New York that I really found my love of bridges, but you're right. Portland has a ton of bridges. So 
When did you move to New York? So I moved to New York to go to art school um, about 18 years ago. And you've been there more or less ever since? Ever since I've been here. Um, And I've done like a ton of traveling while I've been here. And especially this year, I've spent several months in different places. But this is my home base is New York. So what do you love about the city? Oh, gosh. Um, There's an energy here. And like... Uh, there's like this get up and go and like all these people feeding off of one another. And um, I don't know, like there's just like a hustler mentality here. And that's definitely who I am. And I am restless. I am never (laughs) satisfied with where I'm at or what I've been doing. Like I always want the next thing and I'm always chasing after the next thing. And I think that New York is very key to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that are creative here. And what I have found really great here is like people wanting to feed off one another and like building off of things off of one another, you know, because that's really how great ideas come about is through collaboration, I find. So when did running first come into your life? Hmm. (laughs) So Mari, I'll tell you a story. Um, I love stories. I, I dated this guy that was a Nike pacer and you know, my mom, I grew up and my mom was a speed walker and okay. my sister ran, but I never found any interest in it. I thought they were both crazy. I remember like when I first moved to New York, seeing people run the marathon and thinking they all looked like crazy people, to be honest. Um, and so I dated this guy that was a Nike pacer and he like would give me free running shoes. And I would tell him over and over, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. And then at one point, He's just like, come on, let's just go out for maybe a mile. And like, it was just one of those things where like, oh, we're just going to go for a mile. Oh, we're just going to go for two miles. And we didn't date for very long, but he got me into it. And then towards the end of us dating, he said to me, oh, you're not really a runner. And the (laughs) the moment he said that, and like we broke up maybe a couple of days later, the moment he said that, I was like, I'll prove to you who's not a runner. Like, <laughs> you don't tell me I can't do something because that's the moment I'm going to want to do it. So, <laughs> so that's the starting of my. And then what I'll say is like what really grew my passion into running is, um, you know, I'm in the design industry. I work for design and architecture companies. And when you work at an architecture firm, you work really long, hard hours. And I was working like three to four days a week until midnight, sometimes eleven o'clock at night. And my only way of getting any exercise was to run home at night. And so although they'd give us taxi money to get home, I preferred to run home. And I would run home and that would mean running from the city into Brooklyn. And that's that's where I would say I found my love of bridges. When did you first start to identify as a runner? Gosh, um, you know... Very quickly, I joined this running group in New York called the New York Harriers. And what I found is when I first got out of school and even when I was in school and just in the creative industry, especially design, at first I found it to be, and this could be just living in New York and you're new to New York and maybe you're trying to prove something to yourself and to other people, but it felt a little catty. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I really did not feel comfortable and I didn't feel like myself here. Um, And the moment I 
started running with this run group. I started to meet runners. I um, all of a sudden felt like home and it felt like my community and it felt like people that like I could easily just talk to and get along with. And that's, I feel like when I really, and like, it's more of like the people that got it, got me into it than like the actual running itself. And eventually it just became something where, you know, like, I just always wanted to go and meet up with people and go running and it was a social thing and it made me feel really good. And that was it, you know, how long into your New York tenure was it before you started running? Mm. Um, so I graduated in 2007. I got here in 2004. Um, and then I ran my first marathon in 2008. Okay. Um, Let's see here. So maybe three to four years of me living here. When you started running, did it open up a whole different side of New York to you? It did. It did. Um, And I don't know if it's just that like it changed me, Mm -hmm. you know, or it changed my mentality. But all of a sudden it felt like, you know, I I said earlier that you know, I really love New York because it's people that are creative feeding off one another. And I never really got that until I started running. Right. And I don't know if maybe it just opened me up to collaborating with people more, or if it's just that I met different people that were more open to that once I got here, you know, um, through running, what I have found is, and this is just something in general that like you support other people, they support you. You, you do go the extra mile for one person, they do it for you too. You know, and that's, you do it without even asking them to do it. And then they do it for you without even asking anything in Mm -hmm. return, you know? So what were you like as a kid? Were you pretty athletic, creative combination of those two things? (laughs) Um, so when I was, gosh, I like, I think I tried and failed at many things in sports. I was never really good at sports to Mm -hmm. be honest. Um, but what I will say is that in high school, I was on dance team for a short amount of time. Or no, I'm sorry. I was on dance team for all of high school. And then I was a cheerleader for a short amount of time too um, when I was in high school. So that was probably the first time where I really actually felt athletic um, and part of a team, really. Um, I also was on swim team for a very hot second and failed miserably. <laughs> I'm a very bad swimmer. So there you go. I want to talk to you about Take the Bridge, but I feel weird like even talking to you about it because it feels like it should be the super secretive thing, like kind of like Fight Club, like the first rule of Take the Bridge is you don't talk (laughs) about Take the Bridge, Um, which is weird, I know, because it's a thing and it's it's out there, but does that make sense? It does. um, You know, I actually think it's more like that this year than any other year. Um, I feel like it's more of like, if you know, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where... Once you know, and you're in, like, you know, the people that are within it, then you know, and everybody knows, and it's not really a secret anymore, you know, but if you don't, if you're kind of like outside of the bubble, I could see where it would be hard to quite understand, like the details or how to get in or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So how would you describe it? I probably should have asked you that question off Mm. the top, but what is take the bridge for someone listening to this who's never heard of it? Oh, gosh. Um, Okay, so take the bridge. It started as us literally just doing an out and back over a bridge. 
Um, and what I find about Bridges in New York is that it's that one moment of quiet in New mm-hmm. York, right? Um, but really, it's an out and back. Um, we don't. And now that it's we've gone to all these different cities, we've kind of the format has changed a little bit from city to city, from race to race. But what I'll say is, you know, sometimes we run through the streets a little bit. Um, the course is very loose and we don't really tell you exactly what the course is. We give you a start and finish and a turnaround spot and how you get from the start to the turnaround spot back to the finish is completely up to you. Right. Sometimes we have some kind of parameters within that, but most of it's very loose. And so there's not a full course that's set out ever. Right. Also, we don't close down roads. We don't get any permission from the cities or anything like that. We just show up and we do the race. Like we show up, chalk the start line, tell you the course and you go. Right. Um, And so because of that, there's no, there's no checkpoint or there's no um, mile markers and there's no like time clock or anything like that. Um, my feeling with all of this is that it kind of takes you out of the element of all of, it takes away all of these parameters that you typically use to gauge a race while you're in a race, right? So when you run a typical 5k, you've got all the mile markers right there, 10k, whatever, you've got all the mile markers, you know exactly what split times you need to be hitting at all those mile markers. And every mile, you check in, make sure that you're at that time, right? And you adjust accordingly. Um, with these, because you don't have that, I find that you're more running with the other runners. It's small. We Right now, we're only doing races of 10 men, 10 women. So t- each heat is only 10 people. Um, previously, it's gotten up to like 40 or 50 people per heat. But it's still that's still pretty small. And so you know the people that you're running with. And So you're pacing off the people that you train with, the people that you know, the people that are within your community that you know really well. And so you know like what their pace is, what your pace is. Maybe you do workouts with them. You're like, I should be keeping up with that person ahead Mm -hmm. of me, right? So it's no longer about the times that you're supposed to be hitting per mile, but instead you're thinking about like, well, I should be keeping up with that person. You're racing the person ahead of you. You're not thinking about what your mile split is at that point, you know? And also like, because you don't know exactly how long the race is, you really don't know what mile, like what split time you should be hitting because it could be a four and a half mile race. It could be a six mile race. Like what, what is your PR for those distances? I don't know. Probably you probably don't have one. So um, I think all of that really strips down the race. And as a result, it makes it a very pure race. And mm-hmm. It takes all those elements out, and I find that it makes it a more dynamic race. It makes it so that you're more present within the race, and you're thinking of a lot of other things rather than what time am I hitting right now, right? Yeah, and that's what I loved about my experience racing Take the Bridge here in San Francisco, and I've been racing for 23 years or so at this point. It just stripped it down to what I've always believed racing should be like competition. Here's the course. Everyone's running the same course. You've got to do a little bit of thinking on your feet while you're out there. It's not about how fast you run or what splits you hit. You've got to try and just beat as many people around you. And maybe that's not for everyone, but as someone who'd consider himself a bit of a purist, uh, even though this is like kind of a newer, like hip sort of thing, I guess, uh, it really, it really did that for me. And I just loved it for those reasons. Yeah. You know what I hope that it does? Because when you do these larger races, you can sometimes get lost in all the people and Mm -hmm. you're only thinking about yourself. And 
what what I would hope this kind of does is emulate what some of the pros go through when they're racing and that it's a small group of people that are surrounding you and um, you're racing off of other people rather than it's a singular thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And there's also things that happen within the race sometimes where like there could be like little spurts of like people going a little faster to try to lose somebody or somebody taking a shortcut because they want to lose somebody. And you're like, Oh, should I be taking that shortcut or should I keep that I had, you know? And so it is very tactical and it, and it's more of like a mental thing or like, you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. I would hope that that kind of brings that element to people that aren't at the pro level, you know? So a lot of runners tend to be type A personalities. What's been some of the feedback you've gotten from those folks who have done your events have never experienced anything quite like it before? Yeah. Um, okay. So I've gotten two responses and I get the first one most of the time which is people that have never done these races before and they do them. And it almost brings back this love of racing that they haven't experienced for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get that a lot where people are like, Oh my gosh, I forgot that I could. And then the other thing is, is that sometimes people run faster than they thought they could. Like they had, they PR at a certain distance because they weren't thinking about what times they were supposed to be hitting, you know, and they've been so in their head for so many years, you know, like it almost, you put your own limitations on yourself sometimes yeah. for that. And so I get that from people as well. And it's really just people saying that they find a new joy in racing again. Right. Um, what I do find every once in a while, um, and this happens in that, you know, this race is not just about who is the fastest, but it's also about who can think on their feet and who really can, you know, like weather all the different elements that are going on within the race. Right. And so I have gotten people where they normally are the fastest and they're normally the people that are winning and then they get lost (laughs) and they come back and they're so mad (laughs) because they're not first because they got lost. And, you know, you just have to say like, I'm sorry. That's part (laughs) of it. That's part of the race, you know? So um, that happens very rarely, but every once in a while that happens. So I love it. And it jives with a lot of what I've experienced as a coach increasingly so in the past few years, because a lot of people are tied to their GPS watches. Now it's like, I've got to run this pace, uh, so that I can hit, you know, this Boston qualifying time or Olympic trials qualifying time. And they're just constantly looking at their watches. And I do think people tend to limit themselves in that way. And I've had a number of those same athletes who either forgot their watch at home or it died on them in the middle of a race and they just have to compete. And when they're trying just to get the best out of themselves and bringing the best out of everyone else around them and vice versa, that's when they end up having a breakthrough. And they have that moment of like, holy cow, I just did something that, you know, based on the numbers I've been looking at, I didn't think that I could do. And that's always a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> How did Take the Bridge come to be? Mm, um, so what I'll, one, our race is not the very first race to do this style of racing, mm-hmm. right? Um, I like I said, I was running with this group called the Harriers. I was probably maybe about five years into me running. And I think I was hitting that, that, that like rut of being very tied to my watch and being tied to wanting to hit certain times constantly. And 
I also think that that can kind of burn you out sometimes and you're no longer running for the love of running anymore, you know? Um, and so I was doing like all the road runner races that you could ever think of, um, trying to hit certain times for marathons. And then all of a sudden there was this race called the red hook crit that happened. And the red hook crit mm. is normally it's a, it's a bike crit that happens in red hook every year. Um, and for the first time they were opening up the course before the race to runners for a 5k. Um, and my husband at the time told me about it. He's like, I'm going to go race this. You should come with me. We went and it was the fastest. And it was one of those things where, so you did four loops, um, to make a 5k and, you know, I, there was no mile markers as part of this race. And there was just this energy at that race. And although it's not like any kind of style, like our race, I ran that race and I ran a a huge PR for my 5k that night. And it was this love, like read invite, like it, it made me rethink about like, Oh my gosh, what am I capable of? And like, I obviously have not (laughs) been enjoying my races as much as I can be, you know? And so that was probably the first thing that triggered me. And then a couple of months later, my husband comes back to me and he says, Oh, well the people that just did this, Red Hook Crit, they're, they're doing another race and it's called the Midnight Half. Do you want to do it? And it was, here's the format of the Midnight Half is it's very much like the Alley Cat style of bike or of like bike messenger races in that they, t- they give you a number of checkpoints. You have to hit them in order um, and it ends up being a half marathon. And then there's also a preem where the first person to hit the preem gets, I'm giving you, this is a very long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> the first person that gets to the brain gets a prize, an additional prize. Um, and so they don't give you any kind of course. They just give you all the checkpoints, right? And the checkpoints are in the city. They're in Brooklyn. They're all over the place. And so I'm like, yeah, I think I'll, let's, let's try that. I love that other race so much. Why not? I'm going to try it. And so my husband at the time ended up not being able to run the race. And so he lived in Brooklyn. We lived in Brooklyn at the time. And so I, literally hours before this race starts because it starts at at 11 o'clock. So you finish at midnight Um, and plotting out my course. And I text my husband at the time and I said, Hey, um, I think I'm going to be running right past you about the halfway point. Can you have some water waiting for me? (laughs) Um, And so he's like cheer squad of one right there. And that's my aid station right there. And I ran that race and same thing happened where like, I, at no point did I look down at my watch at any point throughout the entire night. Um, I was actually, I did not know any place where I was at. There was a couple of times where there was a girl in front of me and she made some turns and I was like, oh, should I go that way or should I stick with the course that I wanted to go with? And I know Brooklyn so well that like, even if I went with her, I knew where I was going to be at. So a lot of times I went with her and there was this long out and back to the first preem and maybe 400 meters before the preem, I realized that it, we were first and second. And I was second because I was right behind her. And so it became a full out sprint to the preem with 400 I meters to go. And I got the preem. Like literally I turned the corner just a hair quick enough to get the preem. And then I turn around and I'm like, I'm definitely not going to win this girl for the entire race. I'm going to slow down a little bit. And so she got first, I got second, but I also got the preem. And that was another night where I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I also hit again a time that I never really thought I could for a half marathon, right? And it's like those two races in general, I was like, 
there is more to running and to racing than what we are given right now, right? The options that are given to us right now, are, <laughs> they're all the same, right? It's like trail running and 5K road racing or like ra- road racing, not just 5K. There's obviously many distances. But so I'm like, there's there's a difference to what can be offered here. Anyway, so I kept doing those races. There's It's Trimble racing. David Trimble does the fi- does the crit. And then um, Joe Donato um, with OSR mm-hmm. does that other race, the Midnight Half. He has many races now. Um, so I was running with Joe many times and I became the president of the Harriers. And we had this 5K that was happening every single year. And even though running was, bo- was booming, um, as the president of the, of the Harriers, we had to, I had to help direct this 5k race that we did. And even though running was booming, our race was dwindling where the numbers for our race was just going lower and lower. And, and so I went to the board and I said, you know, you guys, I think there's another option here because right now all that we're doing is offering a small little race that we're doing on a weekend and we're competing with New York Roadrunners. And anytime you compete with the big guys, they're going to win over us. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, I think we can offer somebody something different. And we're no longer competing with the New York Roadrunners. We're offering something a little different than them, you know? Um, and so that's where Take the Bridge started. Um, I told Joe, who's part of OSR, who's the head person of OSR, my idea. And I was like, what do you think? And so like, literally like maybe once a week we'd go out to coffee and I'd, we'd brainstorm together about what the race could be. And it started off as what we called the summer series. So every month for the month or during the months of the summer, we'd have a race over a different bridge. And my hope was, is that in doing that, if you didn't hear about the first race, then hopefully you heard about the, you'd, you'd hear about the second race. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. it would build momentum so that by the third race, everybody knew about our race, you know? Um, and that's how it started. <laughs> did it very, go to, did it answer. go to plan? Was there some initial buzz <laughs> that just grew with each event and it fulfilled your expectations in that way? So, um, our very first race, I think we had like 10 men, 10 women, mm-hmm. and it was basically any of the Harriers that I could get to come and race. And then also, um, all of my friends, me, like, <laughs> begging all of my friends, please come and do this race. Um, and then I think we had two people that were at the finish line cheering. It was so quiet and small. Um, but at the time I was also pacing for Nike. And so I was just trying to like, kind of put that little word in everybody's ear that we were doing these races. And so like the next time we did it, we had a couple more people. And then by the third time that we did it, like our race had sold out. And I think that was like the last one that we had of that series was the t- when I was like, okay, we've got something here, you know? When did it become Take the Bridge officially? Well, it was called Take the Bridge from the very beginning. From the beginning, okay. Yeah, yeah. And you did you have to split it off from the Harriers, or was it kind I of did. split from the beginning? No, I did. And so the first year, um, that was when I was the president of the Harriers, and so we did it under their name. Um, and I'll say that, you know, like I love the Harriers. They were who got me started in running. Um, but they're a very traditional run club. Right. Um, and so I just don't think it was the right fit for them. We now have a ton of Harriers that do our races now, but like at the time, I just think it wasn't something they were super comfortable doing. Like the fact that 
it was unsanctioned, that there was a lot of risk involved. Um, and also it was just something new. And so like at the time I got a lot of pushback from a lot of people within the club saying that I wasn't being safe and that what was I doing to the team at the time. Um, and so at the end of my presidency, I just said to him, I said, you know, I still want to do these races and I know you guys aren't going to do them without me doing them. Um, and so would you mind if I just kept doing them and just took it away from the Harriers? Um, and they were cool with it. The board was cool with it. And so from there on what we started doing as a result and, um, it, how this shows up has changed throughout the years. But what we've, what we did from then on was every time we had a race, we had a different host crew or club. And so we partnered with a different crew each time and help, and they kind of help us and that like this race becomes their race and they make the race their own in a certain way. So just to frame this from a timing standpoint, we're talking what, like 2015, 2016, I believe. Ooh, um, the race is in its, it's, it's technically seven years, but it's in its sixth year of racing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's 2015. Let's see. I'm going to open up our web score. I hate to do this to you, but it's just going to help me know exactly when our races started. So we have this. We have this page called webscore.com that we use for all of our races. So our very first race was July 18th, 2015. So we are coming up on year So six. this is year six of racing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that the first two years were, like I'd say the second year was even bigger than the first year. And then it was the third year of us doing races when I started getting asked to do them in other cities. What were your visions for it after those first few events? I mean, did you know you wanted to grow it at least in New York or were you already having designs, no pun intended on Mm -hmm. expanding it outside of the city? So uh, (laughs) Mari, I'll tell you that like I, I, had no idea it would ever get to be as big as it is. To be honest, honestly, I only just wanted it to be successful in New York and have a place in New York is literally as far as I could see when I first started this. Um, you know, I wanted it to be a foothold in New York. You know, like I think that if you live in New York and if you're a runner in New York, I think you know about OSR races, which is like very, it's it's like very edgy and like very scary to go to any of his races, right? So I just wanted it to have some kind of placement within the New York running scene um, and for it to feel like, you know, just like a part of the community, you know? Um, mm-hmm. What I'll say is like, as we did these races, um, there was like the third year that we did them, um, I was asked to go to Boston for the Boston Marathon and to do it that weekend. Um, and that was the first time that I had thought, oh, we could do this in other cities. That was like legit the first time I'd ever even thought about it. Right. And then we did Boston and then we did Chicago. And after Chicago, I thought to myself, how cool would it be if I could like travel the country and do these races all over the globe and like, and no joke, the one race that I had in my mind when I was thinking about that was going to San Francisco and doing the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> so it was like this small little idea in my head 
but it was almost something of like, yeah, but that's not possible. Like, <laughs> that's that's silly. Like, Why just, did you think I'm that just it wouldn't be possible? In my lane. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm just saying, like, literally, this thing has just grown legs. Like, I didn't realize was going to happen. And you know, I I feel like I've just tried to ride the wave for whatever becomes of it. Um, you know, and like throughout the years, I've had like like a couple of years ago, I did a vision board, right. Of like, if, if like there was no restrictions and I could do whatever I wanted and money wasn't a problem and I could do anything, what would I do? And I did this vision board of like all these bridges that I wanted to go to and all these cities and crews that I wanted to partner with. And no joke. Now that we've done this last series of races, every single thing that was on that vision board has now been taken care of. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe, maybe I need to create a new one. Like, Time for a new vision board. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Um, and that's just been something where this past series of races that we did um, really was something like, it was like this aha moment of like, maybe I'm limiting myself and how I'm doing like the past couple of years, maybe I was limiting myself on how I was doing these races. And I think everybody through COVID has had to shift and adjust and like do things mm -hmm. differently. And I honestly feel so blessed because it got me out of like the same old, same old and thinking about new ways of doing these races. And as a result, like it's almost opened up all these different possibilities that I haven't thought about, you know? So well, let's dig into that a little bit. What are some of those possibilities that have popped up over the past year that we've been dealing with COVID and you've had to kind of adjust and rethink some things? Yeah. Um, so the last like, so before COVID, what we started doing is going to like the year before, like in 2019, we, we did 12 races, which is the most races we'd done in one year. And um eight of those were new cities, like cities outside of New York, right? And that was the biggest year that I'd have that we had had so far in all the years of us doing races, right? And so like that, I thought like, I'm never going to go past this, right? Um, and I think one of the limiting things that I've had is, you know, like when we go and do a race in a new city, um, I need to have a ton of budget and I need to bring my entire team with me wherever I go because I have a team of people in New York that help me out now, right? Like I cannot do this on my own. And so <laughs> I have a team of people in New York that help me out. And so I always bring them. I would always bring them to all the cities that we go to. Also, like I would do all of these races, like anytime we go to a new city, what the format that I've always done is I go to this new city about a month before we have a race. I, f I spend like a weekend, a long weekend of going to every single run event that I can go to, every kind of group run I can go to, um, meet with any of the leaders within the community, and at the same time, scout out a course all in a weekend, right? And really try to, try to fully immerse myself in the community, figure out who we're going to invite, and then I create the course, I figure out who we're going to invite within the community. And then I try to also... Um, educate everybody because if we go to a new city, nobody knows what our race is. And so I try to educate everybody about what our races are. Right. So it, I don't know if that sounds like a lot, but it is, it's a lot. Right. And so I do that a month beforehand. And then I use an entire month of trying to like build off the networks that I've created in that one long weekend to um, create a race. It's a lot of work. 
it's a lot of work. And so like to do that multiple, multiple times for multiple cities, it was extremely exhausting, really exhausting. And like towards the end of 2019, we'd done 12 races and I was really exhausted. And so we went into 2022 and I, we had a race in Atlanta and then we had a race, um, in LA and that was February and the beginning of March that we had our race in LA. Keep in mind, I also have a full-time job designing stores for a, for away travel. And so I also travel constantly for that as well. And so for all of January, February, and the beginning of March, I think I was home maybe three days out of the, those entire months, That's right? Wild. <laughs> it's exhausting. And so take that mindset and like, I was so stuck in my ways that that's how it was done every single time that I wasn't open to this idea of letting go of any of that and maybe entrusting in people that are local to do all the legwork that I was doing, right? And so in these races that we just did, um, so just a little sidestep is that during COVID, um, one, I, I knew that people, like at first, you know, nobody felt safe being outside. Nobody felt safe being in groups. And so that's why we at first did like a virtual version of our races. They were fine. But what I'll say is that people are really craving, at that time, they were really starting to just crave being around other people, wanting to find a way of doing it safely. And people were starting to crave like, okay, I've done these virtual races, but I need a real race. Like I need something that's going to feel like a real race again, you know? And so I went to LA for work. I was stuck there for a few months. And while I was there, um, my friend Jordan and Jenna and I, um, Gordon and Jenna and I were having dinner one night and we're like, you know, I think we can do this safely. I think we can do this safely if we really limit it to how many people we have running the races and we have 10 people, 10 men, 10 women. So it's 20 people all together that are running and racing. And we have to make sure we don't tell anybody about the race. Because the thing is like the moment we tell somebody or put it out there that we're having a race, everybody shows up. Like before when we've had races and we announced that we're doing a race, no joke, like 300 people show up. So (laughs) we can't tell anybody that we're doing the race. We invite people, we tell people you cannot bring anybody with you. You're not allowed to bring anybody with you. And if you want to bring somebody, they have to be approved by me first, you know? So we're having 20 people there that are racing, maybe five people that are crewing and helping and maybe one or two photographers and that's it, right? So you have less than 30 people there. Everybody's outside, everybody's wearing masks, right? And so that felt safe to us. And so we did a couple of those in LA. And then from that, I started to get people asking if they could do the same thing in other cities, right? And so that is truly you you don't know, like you don't talk about it. Like if we invite you to this race, you can't tell anybody that you're doing the race. Oh, I know. I was, I was on the emails telling me to keep my, (laughs) keep my mouth shut about this event that I was about to run. So that is definitely a new thing. And that's more of like, really, we want to keep the amount of people that are at the races this year, really, really small. So it still feels safe to people. Right. Um, And so Literally, this is me working with the people in LA thinking, okay, like, how can we do this in other cities? And um, TSP, which is the Speed Project, had just done their virtual version, their like do it yourself version of their race. And I'm like, why can't we do that in other cities? Like, why can't we 
let other people throw their own, take the bridge. You know, like if, if everybody can do their own speed project, I think everybody can throw their own race. Right. And so I put out an application for people to apply. And I'll tell you, like there are crews that I've been dying to work with that put in applications. And I'm like, Oh my, it was like, I can't believe they want to work with me. This is crazy. And so what we did is um, I picked 10 cities and we did races in 10 cities. And um, each of those cities, we worked with a special, like a certain crew that was within that city. Um, and a crew leader is who I would have like a Zoom call with every two weeks. And basically I would impart on them all of the knowledge that I had, but tried to give them as much freedom so that they could make the race their own at the same time. So, and then we literally just had all these races and it was this idea, like it, it blew me away because so for all of the races, I was present within either a zoom call, a FaceTime call, or like some version of like something virtual. So I could actually be present at the race and see what was going on and help them out with anything that they needed. But it was also like, it fully was their race, you know? And so I saw all these people that were becoming race directors and, you know, last, like in 2019, we did 12 races and it made me exhausted. We just did 10 races in, in a matter of a week and a half or two weeks. And I have never felt better in my life. <laughs> so what I'll say is that this has kind of opened up this idea of that, like, I've always felt like, you know, if we do our race in a city, I would love for people to see that and then put their own race on. And it's like, why not empower people and give everybody the tools to be able to do these races? I'm not the only one that can do these races. Other people can do them. And so it's like, maybe we have like a fran like a franchise version of Take the Bridge. Like, I want to be careful in saying that because I don't want it to feel like that. I still want all these races to feel like I take the bridge, but it's mm -hmm. like, how can I work with people and empower people to be putting on these races so that I'm still a part of it. It's still a take the bridge. It still feels like a take the bridge, but I'm also giving people these opportunities to like fully put something on in their city and like connect with their city or connect their community together and have it feel like it's their own at the same time, you know? Has it been hard for you to let go of some of it? <laughs> yes, very much. I ain't your baby. I know, I know. And like, there's definitely, I'll definitely say that the 10 cities, were, there was a lot of learning that happened very quickly, right? Um, and things that I've learned from, and I'm already planning the next versions of what we're doing for what we're calling the spring series. Um, and here's here's the thing, Mario, is that, you know, this is like, I'm always learning. <laughs> I, I do not know everything. And I, I am very honest with that. And like, this is literally just like, I'm making shit up as I go half the time, <laughs> you know? So it's like, what I have learned is that like, you have to do stuff, you have to make yourself uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to do things that you kind of don't want to do sometimes. And then you learn from them. And then you keep moving forward and you adjust every time. Right? So I am very much of like, I want things done a certain way. I want them to feel a certain way. I will say that the races all felt like the parts that I saw, they all felt like a take the bridge to me. And that's a success, right? Like how people do it. Like I actually learned that maybe I don't always do it the right way, or maybe there's better ways of doing things. And so like, 
I'd love for Take the Bridge, like if we're going to start doing this in other cities and empowering different people to be race directors, like I'd love it to be almost like a collaborative thing where we're all bringing ideas to the table and like, what can the next version of Take the Bridge be? Right. And like, I've been doing it one way for years and years, but maybe there's new ways of doing it, you know? And like, I want all these people to come together and like, we've got to figure out together what the next versions of these races are going to be. Right. When you're putting on an event, whether you're doing it yourself or another race director is doing it in a city that you can't be in, what do you hope people take away from the experience? Um, you know, I, all that I want, like literally my only feeling, you know, you wrote that little blurb on your email that goes out to everybody. And Mm -hmm. I read that and that is a hundred percent what I just hope that everybody takes away. Right. Like, here's the thing. I want you to walk away with like this renewed passion for racing. I want you to be almost surprised by what you were able to accomplish maybe get out of your element, get out of like what you're comfortable with and realize <laughs> that like doing things differently is a good idea sometimes. Right. Um, but I also it's, there's something about bringing together the community in a small group of community. And like, it just feel like that feeling of everybody getting together and doing something different. Like that's what I want people to walk away with. Right. Does that make any sense? No, it, it does. And I experienced it for myself. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think as a participant, that's what surprised me the most. I was like, okay, this is going to be like a race with 10 people. It's super small. We can't talk about it. So it's not going to be this, this big deal. And then when I got there, I mean, there were photographers taking pictures and there were some people out along the course cheering and obviously the participants themselves, but it had this real community feel to it. And it was small. I mean, we're talking like a, a couple dozen people, maybe a few dozen people all told, but it had this just real community feeling, which I think, I mean, I certainly was craving, maybe I didn't know I was craving it as much as I was given everything that's gone down over the past year. And you could just sense that in everyone that was there. They're like, this is my you know, in this case, this is my city. This is my community. We're in this together. And it felt like very celebratory in a way. And that's not to say like, oh, the pandemic's behind us and all this stuff. I mean, it was very, it was very safe environment. And I think it was done, it was done right. But it really just like, I don't know, it just, it just had this real, it just had this real energy to it. uh, And this sense of community that I hadn't felt in in a long time number one but also in in just other you know in other ways at other events and other groups that i had been involved with and i was like oh this i get it now like i like i get it 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 makes sense to me um not to toot my own horn but i will say there was this moment where um one i'm still friends with that ex-boyfriend that got me into running and he comes to some of our races sometimes and um it's, I have done this race a couple of times in Portland and, you know, here's the thing, like New York has something that I think is extremely special within the run community. And this is, I hate to say this, but like this kind of stuff happens all the time in New York and like community comes together within run in New York all the time. And so maybe 
this feels like every other event in New York sometimes to me, or at least I don't know. Right. But like, I don't know if all of the, all of the other cities have something like this all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I did a race in Portland a couple of years ago and you know, like, like I said, I always like to work with people that are local so that we can really make sure that we get a wide range of people out. And what happens is that like at the after parties and like, I really loved San Francisco because we basically just like took over this field and everybody could spread out and have as much space as they wanted, but still like you could talk to people and it felt like a true after party. Right. Um, and we've had after parties after all of our races and like, that's almost just as important as the race because you get to know new people. You can sit there and talk about like, what, did, what course did you take? What did you do? And like, like, you know, just talk about the race a little bit, but also just get to know new people within your community. And so we're in Portland at this after party and this ex-boyfriend is there and he turns to me and he's like, Darcy, you did this. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, do you know that this is not, normal in portland like there are no Mm -hmm. events that do this in portland and i was like no there's gotta be other things like (laughs) i'm not like reinventing the wheel here no i think that's exactly it that's how i felt uh after take the bridge a few weeks ago and granted these are strange times but like those sorts of things don't happen here with that type of energy and that type of enthusiasm even on such a small scale yeah yeah well, and here's what I would love to see, Mario, is that like I would love to see that stuff happen more often in other cities, you know, because I think that just unites the running community more than anything, right? And so that is my hope with this race is that like one, it gets you out of your element, it makes you think differently when you're racing, but two, that it like really brings people together, right? And so, you know, this past year and like, has been tough on everybody. And I think that everybody really is craving racing again, but you have to do it in a safe way. And so like, at least, you know, the races that we just did, I really do feel like we did them hopefully in a safe way. And I worked with each city to make sure that it felt safe for whatever was happening in that city. And I think it's important to know that, that not every city is the same. Um, And so like, but I do think that people are really craving like being around one another and racing again and having some kind of a community, you know? Mm-hmm. What have you learned about running and running communities since starting Take the Bridge, but especially since you've taken it beyond New York City? Yeah. Um, you know, I just said that, you know, like the New York running community is special. And I will say that I haven't seen anything exactly like it in any other city. And I think that's more just because New York is just so big, right? But what I will say is it's almost surprised me um, the, the, like, the groups that are running together and like how supportive everybody is of one another and all these other cities, right? Um, I'll tell you that one city that I have just fallen in love with is Austin and we did like a virtual version of our race out there, but a couple, like this one crew, um, Commodore really wanted to do their virtual race all together. And so we did a special virtual, like all together race with them. It was basically like the same version of what we did in San Francisco. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is that like, I was there for a week to support anybody that was going to run the race on their own within that week. And so de- when we did these virtual races, 
um, I showed up in each of the cities for a week. And then we tried to support people while they did their race. So if you told me that you were going to run your race, I would show up and I'd at least take pictures for you. And if there was enough people, we'd have a photographer there to take pictures of you, right? Um, And what I found is that anytime somebody went to go and do their race, like their whole crew would be waiting at the finish line to cheer them in, (laughs) right? And like, that is so amazing to me that like everybody within your group that you're running with, like everybody wants to support one another. And like, I just did this race like last night at like midnight, but it's six o'clock in the morning and my friend's going to race it. So I got to go and cheer them in and make sure that they feel good when they're coming in for the race too. You know, and that's the whole thing of like, you do something for somebody else and they're going to come back and do something for you for no, like not asking for anything in return, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, that ability of supporting one another, I have found that in every single city, you know? And so like, even though it may be a smaller version of the, of what is in New York, like it's there and it's present and you just have to kind of open yourself up and look for it. And it's there. As we've talked during this conversation, it's very clear that take the bridge has a very urban edge to it. Would it be possible to have a take the bridge in a suburban environment or could someone, you know, take that mantle up where they live and create an event and cultivate a similar experience in their own community. That's not necessarily a big, busy city. Yeah. Oh gosh, Marty. So <laughs> I'll say that I really prefer them to be in the urban areas just because it's a more dynamic area right mm-hmm. or or setting for the race really um there's definitely some bridges that i love that are not in urban areas that i would really love to do my races there right um i don't know like this is me like this year realizing that maybe i have some beliefs that i need to let go of and open up <laughs> myself to new ideas That's right okay. and so until now i've always felt like it needs to be in like a really gritty urban, like lots of commotion going on situation or or setting. Right. Um, but maybe, maybe there's some, maybe there's a situation where people can prove me wrong, you know, and that's where I really do want to be able to partner with people and like get myself out of my rut of doing things the same way every single time. Right. But I think it takes like one, it takes somebody that's going to really hustle and bring their community together. And so the Mm -hmm. people that I partnered with this last time, like that was really important to me that you have a foothold in your community and you can really bring people together and like really get people excited for something. Right. And that's super important. And then also just making sure that there's like a really awesome bridge. to run (laughs) So. No, that all makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm real curious. Do you ever catch any criticism from, say traditional race directors who just aren't into the whole unsanctioned aspect of the events that you're putting on? Not really. Um, I've had, I've had one experience. Um, and this was the first year that we were doing races and I had somebody that worked at New York red runners that called me and lectured me for 45 minutes about how unsafe I was being and how I was really putting a lot of people in danger. Um, but that person had never come to any of our races. And I think that what I really try to make sure of, and like, I say this, but I always like, 
I have nightmares all the time of, of things going wrong. And so I really, I just think it's really important that we try to keep people safe as much as we can, but then still keeping the same true feeling of like it being unsanctioned and the roads are open and all that kind of stuff. Like I still want it to be as safe as possible because I want to make sure we can keep doing this for years and years and years. Right. Um, so I've had that criticism, but besides that, not really, like I've actually had people that were timers at New York Roadrunners that have come to our races to watch and ask questions and to observe about how we do things. Right. So um, and what I'll say is like how what you experienced for timing was slightly different is different than what we typically do for our races. But um, yeah, I think that people are very open to it. Like that, I had one out of like this, the six years that we've been doing races, like one, one time and that's it. So have you ever run into any issues in New York or the other cities themselves when the races are actually happening? Yes. <laughs> so, um, one, I'll say more often than not in New York, the cops always come, right? Um, and I've just learned to talk to the cops. And honestly, as long as the we're leaving the paths pretty clear and people can still, pedestrians can still use the bridges and we're being safe where like people aren't like hanging off the side of the bridge or anything, like as long as we're being safe and we're leaving the path open for others, normally the cops are fine in New York, Right. Um, but I have, I typically do have to talk to them almost every single race. Right. Um, what I will say is probably the biggest thing that ever happened is that we were doing our race in Miami last December, um, December, 2019, um, during Art Basel. And there was the bridge and like bridges are a very loose term in, in Miami, but it was like a bridge that went over to the port of Miami and, you know, I, when I choose courses, I bike those courses, like while I'm there, I bike them every single night. And then I get there a few days early and I bike them every night at the time of our races and had no issues whatsoever. Um, come race night. Um, and what happens is that we have a zoom call going on and I'm always the lead bike. Um, and so I ride with the front person and just make sure that they're being safe. And we have this all along the course. This is another version of us being safe is that we have bikers all along the course. We're all on a call together. We're all talking to one another and making sure that if anything happens, that we talk to one another and tell each other what's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm the lead bike. We're on this bridge going over to the port of Miami. And I hear on the headphones um, from our checkpoint people that are on the other side. So the checkpoint was supposed to be underneath the bridge on the very, like you would go over the bridge and then you'd have to do a 180 and then go all the way down to like the tip of the island and then come back, right? Going underneath the bridge the entire time. And so I hear from the checkpoint people and they're like, hey, um, the cops are here. And I'm like, okay, it's fine. Like as soon as I get there, I'll talk to them. Don't worry about it. And they're like, um, no, they're, they're really mad. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, it's all right. I'll be there really soon. And they're like, no, they're telling us that we have to move. They're, they're moving us right now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, hold on. And so like I bike ahead, I get there and they're like, this is a private property. You cannot be on this. Like nobody can be on this. It closes at like seven or something. And they're like, you can't be here. 
And I'm like, I've biked here many times. And they're like, but you didn't get permission to be here. And I'm like, I never get permission to be here. I'm sorry. I'm like, we're just a group of runners running. Like, that's all that it is. And he's like, no, you guys can't be on this on this island. Like, this is completely private property. And so we had to move our checkpoint to, like, I had to negotiate with the cop. And so we negotiated because they didn't even want us to go on the bridge. And this is all happening in the middle of the race, the race. too. Um, I had to negotiate real time problem solving. (laughs) I had to negotiate with the cop and we got them to agree that for an hour, they let us run on the bridge, but that we couldn't actually step foot on the port of Miami on the Island itself. So they just had to turn around at the base of the bridge, right? It just means that the race is a little shorter and they didn't get to go to the checkpoint that I wanted, but that's fine. Um, But what was hilarious is that the cops then became the checkpoint people like they wanted to be the ones that like told everybody to turn around so um that was the biggest thing that we had oh that's great when you're putting on an event are they usually at night have you ever had any early in the morning it seems like from what i've seen on the outside looking in that a lot of them are happening once it gets dark out or later at night when there typically isn't a lot of traffic on the bridges or on the roads yeah that's normally the case and like yeah we definitely normally have them in the evenings it just means that there's less foot traffic um and i normally actually whatever bridge we're going on I will ride that bridge many times at different times of the day to figure out when is the sweet spot of like, when do we have the least amount of foot traffic possible? Right. Um, What's funny is that like before San Francisco, I've done a lot of work in San Francisco. And because of that, I once tried to go and scout that bridge. Like I got in from a flight. I tried to go straight to the bridge and go run over it. And like, as you probably know, the bridge closes at like 6.30. Yep, that and gate so, goes down. And so I went over at like though. 11 o'clock at night one night, and I'm like, gosh, dang it. And like construction sites open at 6 in the morning, and so I went straight back to the bridge at 5 o'clock in the morning and went and ran it at 5 in the morning And since I couldn't get there and couldn't run it in the evening, you know? Um, and so I really love the San Francisco Bridge, like when it first opens right first thing in the morning because there's nobody on that bridge. It's dark. It feels like it's the evening, but it's the morning and there's nobody on that bridge. And you feel like, I feel like a rock star on that bridge when I'm there in the morning, because you're there all by yourself and you feel like you have that bridge all to yourself and it's gorgeous. And so I said to Jenny, I was like, Jenny, I really think we should do this in the morning at like five. And she was very adamant. She's like, I really don't think anybody's going to want to run the race at five o'clock in the morning. I don't think we can get anybody to do it. And so, you know, this was Jenny's race. So I let her do whatever time she wanted to do. Right. Um, And it was still an awesome race. But I really, (laughs) really want to come back and do that race at five o'clock in the morning, like the moment the bridge opens up. Oh, I, I think you'd get plenty of people to show up early and do it and not have to dodge pedestrians and tourists and and the like at prime time which i mean we did it at what i think it was like 5 30 or so that we yeah that we set off and it was a little busy if we're being honest i'll say that one like she jenny had gone and scouted that bridge many times before but i think you guys had had a lockdown so she mm-hmm. like the, the lockdown lifted right before we like the week before we did the race right and so like that affected things a little bit 
so when she was doing it, like it was empty at five thirty when she was going and looking at the bridge, but also there was a lockdown, so that's why. Um, and we I, caught the nicest weekend that we've had in a long, long time. So there were just a ton of people out because it was just beautiful. Uh, right. You can catch sunset right <laughs> at that spot um, as well. Very true, and that's when we did it. Is right when the sun was setting. So um, I ran it like maybe two hours before the race. And I, it was even worse, like two hours before. And I go back to Ginny and I was like, this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of foot traffic on this one. So you guys did good though. Curious question for you. Like how is your design background influenced how you think about the events that you put on, like how they look and feel or how you want them to look and feel to participants? Um, you know, I think that maybe my design background helps to make things like maybe the graphics of things look consistent or even just like the Instagram all look consistent or, um, you know, like when we did these last races, how can like making sure that everything just feels the same across the board. So like when pictures are taken in one city and then they're taken in another, there's something that's consistent throughout all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is why like for these races, we sent like a care package to every single city and it had like all the things that you would need for throwing a race. Right. So everybody had the same finish line tape. Um, everybody had the same flag that they could fly at the finish line and, and things like that. Everybody had the same masks that they could wear. Right. And so I think part of that is from my design background of just, you know, wanting to make things look consistent and clean, um, and similar throughout. Right. So that might be part of it. I don't know. (laughs) What role has social media specifically played in the promotion of the races, but, you know, also just generating the excitement and and hype around them beyond just in the different communities in New York? Yeah. Um, So I think at first, like, one, like the only way that you know about our races is through social media or if like a friend tells you, right? Like we don't do any kind of, I don't know how else we would promote our races, but like we don't do any kind of like advertising or anything like that. Like the only way you're going to know about us is through social media, really, um, and through word of mouth. And that's important to me because then it stays somewhat small, right? Like I don't want this to be a huge thing and I don't want it to feel commercial whatsoever. Um, and so that's part of it and that's intentional, Right. And I'd rather people hear about it like word of mouth, to be honest, Mm -hmm. than social nowadays. But, you know, like that's also just, you know, a part of what we're in right now. Um, And then what I try to do leading up to the races is like do little spoilers of like, and this I do this more on my own personal Instagram. And then every once in a while, I'll share one or two of them on the actual Take the Bridge Instagram. But like whenever I scout, like we're doing a race in New York in a couple next week and I have been biking and running across the course and the bridges every single day. Right. And so like, I'll do like little teasers of that. So if people start seeing on my Instagram constantly, like little teasers of me being out at the middle of the night, taking pictures on the bridges, they know something's going to happen. Right. And so it's almost like, a, it's like just a tease. Of <laughs> there's something happening. Right. Um, and then like, what I did in LA, even though we wanted to make sure not to tell anybody that we were doing the races, like maybe an hour before the race. And I did this for every city when we just did the 10 races is that like, I just did a screenshot of the map and then like a little pin drop 
and that's it. <laughs> right? So like, we're right here, just to let you know, right here. But like no time, no, no details or anything like that. So it's like little just like droplets of information. And really, hopefully that like just gets people's interest. And then I think maybe 30 minutes before the race, I dropped the list of everybody that was racing. Right. And I had some, like, I had several people be like, what the, oh my goodness. <laughs> right. So like, I don't know. I just try to, I try to use it. I used to get so caught up with social media of like, I have to have so many follow or so many followers and we have to have so many likes and we have to make sure that like everybody's posting pictures. And to be honest, I don't, I don't care about any of that kind of stuff anymore. You know, like, if, if people want to see us on social, great. Like I cannot spend all my energy trying to get people to like us on social media anymore. You know, like whatever it is, fine. Like I want it to feel organic, but what I do have fun with is just like literally just like little droplets <laughs> of information and that's it. So, well, I think that helps to create this kind of air of mystery around it. I mean, speaking from my own experience, I had other people who were participating in the San Francisco event reach out to me and ask if I knew anything about where it was going to start or where the checkpoint was. I'm like, I don't know anything. I'm like, I just know I'm showing up here at this time and it's going off at 5.30 and we've got to figure it out from there. And I think like in the lead up to it, or at least in some of these like traditional events, like, you know, just, just not knowing, I mean, creates that sense of intrigue, right? And you're like, well, I want to find out, right? Yeah. Whether it's like, yeah. I want to participate myself or I just want to go out and like, you know, watch this thing. I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, very true. Um, it's, I like hearing that, like, here's the thing. I feel a little removed after so many years, I feel removed and that like, I haven't done our own race. I've never done my own race, you know? So like, am, are people experiencing this? I, I have no idea, you know, like, am I creating the same experience of what I, first experienced in those two races um, for ever, everybody else, I have no idea. I would hope so. Right. And so that's like the past five years I've, I've created and hope that people have this experience, but I don't know firsthand if people are like, I love hearing that from you and other people. Right. Um, what I will say is that this year was the first year where I've also like been injured off and on. And so like, I've been very strategic about how I run, while I've been trying to get back from injury, but like last February I did an OSR race for the first time in like three or four years. And it reminded me of that very first feeling that I ever had right at one of those races. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my goodness. And I was like, I really hope, I really hope this is the experience that other people are getting in our races. Right. And so as I was traveling around the different cities, when we were doing the virtual version of our races, I would, we would, anytime there was a group of like maybe five people or so, I would jump in and do the race with them. Right. And it was the very first time that I did my own race. And I will say that when I did it with those like four other people or five other people, I felt that same way, that same experience of what that race in February was or the very first two races, even when it was that small group of just five people. Right. And that gave me like the ammunition of like, okay, I'm doing all right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I hope that, I don't know if that was an answer or whatever, you know, but no, it was something I want to pull out of that answer and follow up on is how do these underground unsanctioned races coexist with the more traditional events 
that are out there or how have they coexisted? Because this has been going on for a while now. Here's the thing. Like, I just think it's another version or another option, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's the road racing that like is a very standard race that everybody does. There's, there's trail running and ultras and people do that. And like, now there's this option and these, this is a whole other option now for people. Right. And I'd love it to be more of like, something that's available all over the place that people can fully experience this, or maybe you travel to a city so you can experience it. Right. Um, But I almost think that it like what I find and what people have told me is that it almost helps in training for one of your road races, right? Like you may be training for a race and you're so in your head because you've been doing all these training runs and you have to hit certain times for all these training runs. Right. And like, you then do like simulation races or simulation runs, right? And maybe this is a race that you can do leading up to that race to like shake things up just a little bit to remind yourself to like get out of your head for a moment, right? Right before like your big, huge race, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> that's how I yeah. would use this race. I I think that's a great use for events like this. And speaking for myself, looking ahead, not knowing when things are fully going to return to normal, I can say that taking part in Take the Bridge, which for me was the first race that I'd run since the 2019 New York City Marathon, it just like ignited something in me. It just got me excited. Even with no other events on my immediate horizon, I mean, I'm just excited to get out and train a little bit harder and, you know, to see what's possible for myself. And, and if I'm being honest, that was kind of unexpected. I thought I would just do it and sort of be done. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that that's what you got from <laughs> exactly what I was hoping for. So that's good. Do you have a sense if around the country or around the world, even that underground races are gaining popularity beyond just your own? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, And here's the, like, here's what I think about all of that. Like, one, yes, definitely. And there's, like, there's a race that just started, and it's in New Zealand, and it's called Race 09. Um, And they've been somebody that they've, like, talked to me a little bit, and I give them some tips and whatever. You know, like, I would hope that we can all collaborate together and we can all like work together or like even just take inspiration from one another. But like, I've definitely seen a few races here and there. What I will say is that, um, what I've seen is that people put on one or like one or two of these small unsanctioned races. They don't realize the amount of work that goes into them Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they feel very like, you know, like, they feel small. They feel like, oh, this looks like something that anybody can put together. You know what I'm saying? And like it is in a way, but it there's a lot of work that goes into it that nobody knows about, right? And part of that is like, especially right now, it's a curated field. Like we only invite so many people and we want to make sure it's a good group of people that it's like people that are going to jive well together, people that are around the same pace. And so like, instead of it just being like a free for all of anybody can race, it's like that's energy of like, figuring out what your field's going to look like. Right. And then like, there's a lot of energy of like, like I said, like figuring out what the course is going to be and like making sure that it's going to be safe or like looking at it for, so there's a lot of work that goes into these. And I think people don't quite realize that. And so what I've seen is these races kind of like showing up in different places, but they happen maybe one or two times and then you don't see them again. Right. 
And Mm -hmm. what I would love to offer to people through our races, and this is just like a new, like, insight that I've had recently after these 10 races. It's like, I would love to have like, take the bridge almost be like a network of like where people can do these races. You have the support from me, from the other people that are like directing these races all over the country so that we can all work together. And like, yes, it's a lot of work, but hopefully we can help each other out so that these races can continue to build and be something all over the world. Right. Um, but yeah, they're all over, they're popping up all over the place and everybody loves them. So I love it. To shift this back to you in the remaining time that we have, you mentioned how you're kind of battling some injuries right now. Where are you at with your running and what place does it hold in your life right now? Yeah. um, What's funny is that before these races happened, I really like, I ran a lot. I felt like I was very competitive. Um, And since like maybe the last, three or four years, um, I've been battling a lot of injuries and a lot of them were like stress fractures in my feet. Um, I've had like a torn hamstring. I've had like so many different injuries in the past few years. And honestly, I think part of it is, you know, like once I get healthy again, I want to start racing again. And I really want to get back to where I was beforehand. And, but what's new is that I have a lot of stressors in my life all the time, right? Like I have these races, I have my nine to five job, like I live in New York, which is a whole other stressor, you know, like all these things. And, you know, my life now is not the same as my life before these races. And I have to start being conscious of that. And so like, I have a PT in New York that I work with. And about a year and a half ago, I was coming back from an injury And I could have started running, but they had me wait two weeks or a month or something. And instead for that time period, we focused on like healthy habits to start making sure I was doing and incorporating into my day to day before we added in the running to make sure that like I was still doing those things when I was running. Right. So that's like, you know, meditating or, you know, like visualizing things or, or doing cross training or, you know, making sure I'm going to bed early and getting the correct amount of sleep because, no joke, like before I was getting like four to five hours of sleep a night, you know, like, <laughs> so like making sure I'm doing all of those things before I start running. And then like, what I have realized is that the moment that I start getting super stressed, and I'm running, I get myself injured, right. And so like, mm-hmm. when I see that happening, I have to take a step back and like, okay, maybe this week I only bike. And so I also have just started cycling as well. So like, okay, so maybe this week, if I'm super stressed, I'm only allowed to cycle and cross train and not allowed to run because if I run, I'm going to hurt myself. And I know that for a fact. And it's, I have no idea the rhyme and reason as to why that happens. But I know for a fact, if I run and I'm stressed, I get injured for a fact, right? Um, It's funny because last January, I was working with Peter Bromka and I had said to him like, okay, I'm, I'm injured. I'm injury free now. I'm, I'm healthy. I want to start planning for races. And this is like literally the beginning of 2020. And I was like, I want to start planning for races. And so we had all these races like put down on the calendar and he's like, okay, so I understand you want to do all these races, but I also want you to just think for a moment about maybe not doing races this year and just focusing on being healthy. 
And I was like, nope, that's not an option. That's <laughs> not an option. And he's like, okay, so if it's not an option for the entire year, let's just take two months and let it be the focus for two months, right? And so for two months, I just made sure that I was just enjoying running, right? And like making sure to like, when I go for a run, paying attention to like, you know, if, if something's hurting me, like maybe I just don't go for as many miles, right? And what is hilarious like I saw Peter when I was out in Portland recently and I was like Peter your wish came true <laughs> and I was like all of my races got canceled <laughs> I, I could not race all year long and here's the thing like this is the longest period of time because I didn't have anything to race for or train for this is the longest period of time that I've had injury free like every time for the past three or four years, it's been like maybe three months at a time that I'm injury free and then mm -hmm. I get injured again. And so I realize it's been a full year of me not getting injured. And I'm, wow. Game changer. <laughs> I know. Um, what I'll say is like, I'm working with my, so um, Peter is kind of like my my running guru where like I just go to him and like we just talk about like philosophies for running and like thoughts about it, right? Um, but I have somebody locally, part of my PT group that I work with for like training and like figuring out training plans for things. And so like just this last week, I was like, maybe we can start thinking about training for something. Like, I don't know what it is yet, but like, so I think maybe soon, but <laughs> I've had a year of not having to think about any of that. And I've been very lucky to not get injured this year. So that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Last question before we wrap up this conversation. What does running mean to you? Running is something that keeps me sane. <laughs> it like I am somebody that is prone to anxiety and um also like a little bit of depression as well. And I just find running to be this thing that clears my head. I find it very meditative. It's something that like at the end of the of a hard day, I go for a run and it, it makes me feel better. You know, like it is just mm -hmm. something that is like a mental clarity for me that provides like this space of, of freedom, you know? Um, and that's something I've really tried to focus on this year is just reminding myself that that's what I need to get out of running for this year. Right. Um, and so that's that. And then also like running is also just something that connects me to my community. So what I've been trying to do is like, while I'm in New York right now, you know, like I don't feel comfortable seeing people like in big groups or like inside at all. Right. And so instead like, you know, like socializing with people through running. So like going and going for a run with that person or going for a run with that person or like running to go and see that person and then running to see that person. So it's a community aspect as well at the same time. I think that's a great place to wrap things up. Darcy, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I thank you for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Mario. Thank you so much for listening to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to my friends at the Atlanta Track Club for sponsoring this week's episode. They want you to lock in your July 4th weekend plans as both member and lottery registration for the AJC Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta is going on right now. The race will be held in person and virtually this year on July 3rd and July 4th. 
Strict COVID-19 safety precautions will be in place for the in-person version with limited spots available. Atlanta Track Club members get guaranteed entry and race day preference. And if you're not a member of the Atlanta Track Club, you can join today and then sign up and get a guaranteed spot at Peachtree. Non-members will be placed into a lottery and race day preference will be accommodated as spots remain. This is one of America's iconic road races and we're all excited for a safe return to action here in 2021. Registration is going on now until May 1st, and you can put your name in today at AJC.com slash Peachtree. That's AJC.com slash Peachtree. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (coughs) 